Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. Show us Christ this morning. Lord, may we see him clearly in the scriptures. God, may your Holy Spirit open our eyes and our hearts to truth. And God, may you empower us to walk in it. In your name we pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter 1. As is sometimes the case, there's technology problems. In this case, was a printer that did not print off all my notes that I only realized just a few minutes ago. It's like I've never done this before or something. And so I am borrowing um, Lucas's iPad, and I was able to send my notes to him. And so uh, the challenges. How are y'all today? Good, good. First Timothy chapter 1, we have been... Uh, in this new series called For the Pastor for the Church. Last week we discussed what is sound doctrine, and this week will be the lawful use of the law. I'm excited about this. Um, I hope that you will pay attention, uh, and because I think this is uh, gospel foundational things that we will be discussing this morning, uh, that I hope that you will um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, get deep into your DNA. I don't have near the time that we need to do a review of what we preached last week. So if you did not hear that sermon, uh, feel free to jump on the website uh, or the podcast and listen to that. But as we know, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, who he has left in the city of Ephesus to pastor the church there to correct issues that they are having, some doctrinal problems they are having. And this is his letter that he has written to Timothy after some time of Timothy being there. And so we'll pick it up in verse 3. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Paul speaks about this law and the lawful use of the law and that using it is good if you use it lawfully. But what law is he talking about? I've learned many years ago not to assume that everybody sitting in the church knows what we're talking about. And so let's just do some basic work here. The law is a reference to the Mosaic law, which was given specifically to the nation of Israel. Uh, we see that in Exodus 19 and Leviticus 26. Um, well, you can actually see it all the way through Exodus 20, all the way through 4, uh, chapter 20, all the way through chapter 40. Uh, and it covers the priesthood, the tabernacle, the offerings, the Ten Commandments, all the festivals. 
And for this particular passage, the main focus of the law that Paul is referencing is uh, the Ten Commandments. Now, how do we know that, you might ask? Well, uh, we see that in the list of the sins. Now, the list there is almost, uh, almost unmistakable, a resemblance to the Ten Commandments. Uh, so the law here that Paul is referencing is the idea of, hear, of adhering to the Ten Commandments. But Paul, as Paul will do sometimes, he includes a catch-all when he says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, if you remember from last week, sound doctrine is the teaching of the Old Testament Scriptures along with the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the apostle, apostles. And with this in mind... Paul wants to make sure that Timothy understands a few things about the law. And that is that the law is good if, if, if it is used lawfully. And that means you can use it unlawfully. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, let's examine how we use it lawfully. In the context, here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the use of the law lawfully is understanding who it is laid down for. And Paul makes sure that Timothy realizes, as he would have already known, but Paul is reemphasizing that the law is laid down for sinners. The law acts as a mirror for sinners to see what sin is, to understand what righteousness looks like. It is, the, uh, it is encompassed in the Ten Commandments uh, and everything else, as Paul would say, that is contrary to sound doctrine. So when a sinner examines his own life against the law. The law acts as a mirror showing the sinner what he or she really is, which is a sinner. That's what the law is there for. And we see it clearly in verse 8. Now, we understand that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, meaning the law is laid down for the unjust. So, Paul is making sure Timothy understands that the proper use of God's law is to bring conviction of sin. And that's hugely important because it has gospel implications. If you were in class this morning, you may think that you are about to hear uh, the same thing again. And you are. <laughs> but as one person said, I think it was Keith who said... Um, it is impossible to understand the gospel, which is good news, that's what it means, if you don't first understand the bad news. So how, how does this law, how does this bad news turn into good news? Well, let's examine a quick story that we had for the elder reading, and that is Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, you don't have to go to it if you don't wish, but if you may remember Wayne read it. Jesus uh, tells this young, rich ruler, young ruler who comes up to him, wanting to know how to find eternal life. And he calls Jesus a good teacher. Jesus responds by telling him that there is no one good but my father. Of course, Jesus is good, but the young man doesn't see him as divine, doesn't see him as Messiah. He simply sees him as a teacher. So Jesus immediately um, says there's no one good but the Father. Well, Jesus, he tells him that you should obey the law and obey the commandments. And if you remember, the young rich ruler says, well, I've done all that. 
Well, he had just told the young man that there was no one good but God. And yet the young man says, I've obeyed all the laws. Now, we all know in here that he was not telling the truth, right? We know he wasn't telling the truth. So Jesus immediately dismisses his idea that he's good and challenges him and says, um, go and sell all that you own. Go sell and get all your possessions away and follow me. Now, Jesus knew that there was a couple of different commandments uh, that he was struggling with. One is, you shall have no other God before me. And so this young man had possessions before God. That was his greatest love. You could also make a case for coveting. Uh, but nevertheless, the rich young ruler, after hearing Jesus' words, walks away very sad because he just couldn't do that. Now, incidentally, I would say, I believe, uh, and you're welcome to challenge me on this, uh, preferably over coffee, not here in the service. <laughs> that would be helpful. Um, but I'd be happy to listen to your challenge. But I believe, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, that if the young man had sold all of his possessions and followed God, he would have become a believer. Because he would have demonstrated by doing so, that his greatest treasure was Jesus. And I think that the Lord would have saved him. Uh, but that's, that's a rabbit trail. Uh, but regardless, the young man didn't value Jesus over his treasure and didn't value his idea of doing that, of selling everything and following him. And so he walked away very sad. And in that decision, and in that story, we see what time and time again has been a problem for those who Jesus walked with when it came to the law. Now, you may think that story has to do with the money, and it does have some things to do with the money. There are implications there. You may think it has to do with being wealthy, and there's implications as well there. But more importantly, there is a story of the gospel in that conversation with that young man. He was attempting to do what the law was never designed for you to do, and that is he was trying to earn salvation by keeping the law. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you need to obey the commands. I've done all that. I'm doing all those, which we knew he wasn't. But his idea was there must be something else I need to go do to earn salvation. This idea is not unfamiliar to us, is it? I mean, we are taught from a very young age to earn good grades, to earn your way through school, work hard, graduate, work hard and earn promotions, earn friends, earn respect, and on and on the list goes. We want other people to notice us for what we do. We desire recognition. We want people to tell us, great job, you're doing well. We want people to notice our hard work. We get that, and as good Americans... We want to try hard and then trying to succeed. But all of those concepts, when it comes to earning God's approval, is anti-gospel. Man couldn't cover his own nakedness in the garden with anything permanent. He took leaves 
and tried to cover his neck in us, which we know wouldn't last. And so God had to come in and cover him by the death of an animal with animal skin, but even that was temporary. Man cannot redeem its sin. And so God provided a way through the ceremonial sacrifice of animals in the temple, the shedding of blood. But even that was temporary. Because at the end of the day, the Bible says that not even all of that blood could take away sins forever. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consequences of sin or consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible... It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If you've been reading the Bible a long time, you may remember Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount that you need to be perfect as my Father is perfect. Well, that's a problem. (laughs) Any of y'all feel like that's a problem? That's a problem. If you remember the crowd of people that Jesus was teaching, he even makes the statement that unless you're righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you never make it to the kingdom of heaven. Now, we know the Pharisees weren't righteous, truly. Jesus eventually points that out. But the people thought that was the standard of righteousness. And Jesus is telling all the people listening to him that if that's the standard of righteousness, the only way you can make it to heaven is your standard of righteousness must be higher than theirs. They couldn't do what they did, and so they felt hopeless. And let me tell you today, without Christ, that is your situation. You are hopeless. As my pastor friend Douglas said recently in one of his sermons, there has never been a moment that mankind could atone for their own wickedness. And so here's how we understand the law. Futility. You will never be able to do enough laws and do them long enough and do them right enough to earn your righteousness with God. Never. Righteousness comes through God's provision. And that provision for sin is supplied by God, not man. God, he has a plan because of his great love for you to rescue you by the precious blood of Christ. As we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he takes our sin and we get his righteousness. He takes our sin, and we get his righteousness. And that is what the rich young ruler needed. Because no matter how many laws he would have been taught, he would have never been able to keep them all. And I don't know what you might be thinking here, especially if you've been in this church a while. You may say this, we've heard that before, Jason. Thank you for pointing us back to that verse again. Thank you for pointing us back to this idea idea again. We've heard it already. Can you give us something new from the Scriptures? What I would tell you that poured out through all of the Scriptures is this idea that you can never make provision for your own sin. You need someone to do it for you. 
So we keep hammering it all the time because we are so tempted as humans to forget our position with God, even as believers, and to start trying to earn it again. Every time we fail and every time we stumble and every time we are tempted to see ourselves and identify ourselves as those failures, instead of of identifying ourselves as the righteous children of God, Because of Christ. If you're in Christ, you have been made righteous. God has taken your sin and has given you his righteousness. You can no longer, listen, somebody needs to hear this. You can no longer be identified by your sin. You're, man, we need some more people in this church. You can no longer be identified by your failures. You can no longer be identified by your sin. You can no longer be identified by your shortcomings. Now you are identified by the righteousness of Christ. That is why we worship. We worship not because of something we've done. We worship because we know who we really are. And Christ has interceded on our behalf. He has transferred his sin, taken it off of us, given us his righteousness, and has made us holy, a people belonging to him, a royal priesthood. And that is why when a guitar is strung in a, in a service and a piano note hits, we should be able to worship in music. You should be able to worship by reading the word. You ought to be able to worship by meditating on who God is because he has rescued you. Nothing that you could have done would have ever caused that to happen. And so Paul is telling Timothy here, The law is here to show everyone that they can never be good. We can never be perfect. We can never do it the right way. And when you get to a place like that where you understand the law and what it has been laid down for, and you recognize that you will never achieve rightness before God, you begin to look around for another way. But you will find yourself hopeless with nowhere to turn. And then our prayer would be at that moment, you would cry out to Christ, the only one who can rescue us from our sins. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law, the thing you could never do. He did it all the right way in perfection. Jesus is enough. He is enough. And Paul would deal time and time and time and time again with the Jewish believers who would say, I know Jesus is enough, but, but listen, they need to add a few more things to that. And Paul is saying, no, that is contrary to sound doctrine. Jesus is enough. He is enough. And so here's the gospel. Because he is enough, because he is enough, There is hope, there is rest, there is joy, there is confidence, there is salvation, and there is righteousness, and that is good news for you if you are a believer today. You are justified by faith alone and not by getting all of the laws right. Believer, you want that to be true. 
You want to believe that. You want to walk in that truth. You want to. That you do not have to get everything right in order to be redeemed. Because listen, if we have to earn it, then I guarantee you we would lose it. And if you're without Christ today, you want this to be true. Because there is no way you can clean yourself up enough to be accepted by a holy God. You can't. You can't get your life together and then come to Christ. You can't clean yourself up enough. You can't stop sinning enough. You're never going to be able to do that and then come to Christ. The good news is, the good news of the gospel, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, here's the good news. Come. Just come. Repent and believe, and God will rescue you and cleanse you from your sins. So Paul's pleading with Timothy in this chapter, make sure you keep your doctrine sound. And keeping the law will never make you righteous. And we know the difficulties they had in the church of that Jesus with. Keeping the law will never make you righteous, but Jesus will. And so Paul is telling Timothy to tell these teachers to stop, to sit down, to shut up. Because Jesus is enough. He's enough. We don't need another sacrifice. We don't need another list to do. Jesus has accomplished it all. Be careful how you use the law. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a believer's heart, holiness and godly living becomes a fruit of that changed life. So if you're trying to earn it, quit trying. Instead, embrace his already existing love for you that is displayed in the cross. And I know what some of you are thinking, if you're like me, having grown up in the church, I have this voice screaming to me even as I preach at this moment. Make sure you give them the footnotes. Because if you're like me and you grew up in church, here's what's screaming in my head. All right? We have to live godly, though. I, mean, I hear what you're saying, but don't forget godliness. They have to live godly. They need to follow the law. They need to yield to the law. They need to be in church. They need to read their Bibles. They need to tithe. Amen? I mean, listen, the longer you've been in church, the longer your list of things to do you can create, right? And so when you hear a message like this, and you've been in church a long time, you're like, yeah, I mean, Jesus is enough. But listen, there's a list of rules. Don't forget the rules. What about holiness, Jason? What about walking away from sin? I mean, you gotta, that's necessary for salvation. You've got to walk away from sin. I would say that you're wrong. You can never walk away from sin in order to get salvation. But having the power to walk away from sin is a result of salvation. We should be careful in our churches how we preach the law. I love what Pastor Kevin DeYoung says about this. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. See the difference there? He goes, Jesus never says, obey my commands and then I will love you. No, no, no. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
Do you see the difference there? It's a huge difference. Those who find Christ love Christ and they love the law. I just flipped that on you, didn't I? They love Christ and they will love the law. And here's why. Because they no longer have to fulfill it because Christ did fulfill it for them. And yet it is still a guide for holy living. And we get that and understand that. But far too often when we preach this, we don't preach it well. People leave going, I can never do that. I'm never going to get all these things right. I can't get all the list right. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to. Jesus accomplished it for you. And even at that moment, some of you still had the voice scream again, didn't you? We just don't want to let it go. We don't want to let it go. But here's, here's the deal. If, if you can arrive at that conclusion that Jesus has fulfilled it, Jesus has done it, and repentance and believe in him means that there is nothing left to do. And that's what the Bible teaches. Holiness, godliness comes by nat- naturally by people believing, and it just happens. It, 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 it's a result of salvation. It's a fruit of salvation. I learned a long time ago, you can get a bunch of teenagers, as Dick Stagger told me once, to burn all their albums that are bad. And unless they've been redeemed by the Holy Spirit of God, guess what they do next week? They go buy them all back again. And he told me when I was a youth minister, he said, why don't you just preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit take care of everything else? And I was like, well, there's a unique idea. (laughs) People who are truly redeemed, people who recognize what Jesus has done for them, obey. Not because the law says to, but because they desire to. And that is a massive difference. So in closing, using the law properly And what we know, not from just this text alone, but from many others, the difficulty that the Jewish Christians had when it came to the law and the constant problems that Paul had to navigate regarding this, that using the law properly drives people to the gospel for salvation. The law is laid down for the unjust. It's laid down as a mirror for saying, you don't measure up. We need someone to do it for us. And Jesus accomplished it for us. May we be faithful to preach this truth at Sovereign Life Fellowship. So here's the gospel presentation. You, you tired of this yet? You should join another church because we're going to do it every Sunday. (laughs) You were born into sin. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You sin really well all by yourself. You don't have a mentor. (laughs) And that sin has separated you from a holy and righteous God who demands that you be perfect. And you can't be perfect. But God, because of his rich love for you, sent his only begotten son to fulfill the law, to walk sinlessly, to die on a cross and take your sin and give you his 
righteousness for those who would repent and believe. And that's the gospel. And without that repentance, the only way you can pay for your sin is an eternity in hell. All eternity in hell will still not suffice to pay for your sin. And so it will go on and on and on. But Christ is your answer. He did what you can never do. And so come to Christ. Repent and believe. And if you're a believer here today, I would remind you that God calls us to be holy. And you don't have to go do a list to be holy. But you need to walk out what the truth already is. You are already holy. God has already called you a holy nation, a redeemed people, a royal priest, a people belonging to him. And now you are called to go and live that life. Live a life of holiness. Not in order to get God to love you, but as a result of him already loving you. And that's good news for us. As Keith comes to sing for us to worship. I want to pray for us quickly. Lord God, we do love you. I pray, Lord, that a sermon that's about the law never seems to be the most exciting thing to preach over. And that, God, it is foundational to the gospel. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would hold that up to everyone in here but hold the law up as a mirror so that we can see ourselves for what we really are. And God, for those in here who may not have had a time where they committed their lives to you and repented and believed, God, that they would see themselves as hopeless, lost, and sinners in need of redemption. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you draw them to your side and may they see Christ as their only answer and may they run to him, Lord. And God, for those of us in here, Lord, who are believers, may, be, may we be reminded of how good the news is that we walk in, that you would stir up in our hearts a desire to please you, not to get us get you to love us, not to change our position in you, not to increase our position in you, but God, that the simple fact that you have loved us would cause us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to obey your commands. And so I pray, Lord, that this church would be marked not as a church with a list of things to do, but we would be marked as a church with a list of things to be perfect and an acknowledgement that there's no way we can do it. And that's why we treasure Christ. And in the same breath, I pray that as we treasure Christ, it would make us different. It would make us different from this world. And we would be known as people who obey and follow you. Lord, we love you. Pray, God, in these few minutes as we meditate and worship you, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred up to joy, to confidence, and to obedience. 
Jesus, your name we pray.